Welcome to Thy Kingdom Come, Day 10. We're talking about the acoustic chambers of the Gospel, and today, reasoned argument. One of the things we've learnt in modern science is that there are different levels of making sense. Speaking as a non-scientist, I can at least say this. In the 19th century, the basic laws of physics, as set out by, say, Sir Isaac Newton, made sense. Taking them as a basis, people could navigate through a great many scientific questions. Then along came Albert Einstein, and suddenly everything looked different. Newton wasn't wrong, he was simply incomplete. The universe is a more complex world than he or anyone else could have imagined in that rather mechanically-minded rationalist age. In the same way, it's fair to ask whether the Christian gospel makes sense but there may be different ways of making sense. In the 17th and 18th century, and on particularly into the 19th, many devout Christians faced the challenges of scepticism. Did the gospel make sense in a world which had stopped believing in the supernatural? Many people have tried to answer that question in its own terms, because the only alternative seemed to be to admit that the gospel didn't make sense and was therefore something no thinking person should take seriously. Others, however, seeing the danger of reducing the Christian faith to rationalist terms in order to answer rationalist sceptics, have retreated into forms of romanticism. Oh, the heart, they say, has reasons of which reason knows nothing. It is indeed possible to be stirred in your heart by God's love seen in the death of Jesus, even if the rationalists next door tell you it's all nonsense. Many find that when people proclaim that the crucified and risen Jesus really is the Lord of the world and invites their love and allegiance, this message just grabs them. It makes sense to them, even if they couldn't tell you how, in terms of modern science or ancient history or anything else. But if the gospel is to make its proper, full impact, some people in the Christian community must undertake a task which stands in parallel to the tasks of fostering beauty and working for merciful justice. These things won't necessarily bring people to faith, though unbelievers are sometimes converted through seeing what Jesus' followers are doing. The point is that together they create the resonating acoustics within which the gospel will mean what it really ought to mean. And thus, in a world where some have denied that Jesus even existed, and where others have said that he could never have thought and said what the New Testament affirms, it's important to engage with those historical issues. People need to know how that first-century Jewish world worked, and how what Jesus was doing and saying simultaneously fitted into it and deliberately subverted some of its main emphases. And so, too, if some have said that it makes no sense to talk of God becoming human, or that it's immoral to think of someone dying for someone else's sins, then it's important for some Christians, at least, to explore with proper sensitivity what these huge ideas actually mean and how they fit together. Thus, the tasks of the historian and the theologian are not unlike the tasks of beauty and merciful justice. They are part of the appropriate acoustic chamber within which the full-orbed gospel of Jesus can be spoken clearly, explained intelligently, and believed.